be speaking about the candle of peace today. The reading is from Luke 1, 26 through, 20, through 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin whose name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear, and bear a son, and you will conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You pray with me. Father God, we praise you that you are the Prince of Peace. We just breathe. We breathe deep in that peace right now. Thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us in this season of um, hustle and bustle that we create in this season of chaos, um, of things that are not under our control. We just breathe in your peace. We thank you that as that angel looked at Mary and said, you find favor, that you also look at us and speak those words over us, that we find favor with you. Thank you that as you were growing that new life in Mary, that new life that would be Emmanuel, God with us, that you are also growing life in each of us, that we have your spirit in us. And I just pray that we would look um, for moments during this season, especially when we can bring heaven to earth in that same way, when we can be Emmanuel to those around us. Thank you so much for your peace that you give that passes all understanding. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, thank you for being here this morning as we worship together. Um, it's been a, a busy morning already as we had um, so many of you were out uh, packing bags in the gymnasium uh, during our early service, and we uh, got those done quickly. So thank you for that. This morning we've packed, as Jason said, uh, 550-some bags for um, inmates of the Whitfield County Jail, the Youth Detention Center, um, and a couple other area ministries that, uh, or area organizations that um, Chaplain Richard Steele of our community, of our church, has relationship with. So um, what we're going to do in a minute, I'm going to pray, and that's going to be one of our prayer requests. We're going to pray for those bags as they exit our building later this week and will go um, to be delivered to the various um, places. And uh, each will come with a note from our church. Each will come with Little Debbie's. Each will come with socks and, and then original artwork from our kids um, on the bags themselves on the outside. And the goal of this is to bring hope and light into the jail um, during this season. Uh, many of you know Richard has served as the um, chaplain for, for many years, and uh, usually that means multiple chapel services a week in the jail, and since the beginning of COVID, that has not been able to happen. And so uh, it's rare to be able to get a 
um, a, a ministry, a witness of light into, into the jail, and this is one of the opportunities that we have. So uh, thank you for those of you that took part in that. I also want to let you know about some things going on in the life of the church. Tonight in this room will be our Bluegrass Christmas Night. So come and sing um, some of your favorite Christmas songs done bluegrass style by some of our own band and worship team. And uh, there will be uh, coffee and some dessert and hot chocolate. If any of you participated in caroling last Sunday night, you know Miss Rika's secret family recipe hot chocolate. That is coming again tonight. Um, and then on Friday night, we have decided officially to do two different Christmas Eve services. And so we will have one at 5 o'clock in this room, one at 6 o'clock in this room. The 5 o'clock will be live streamed. The 6 o'clock will not. But if it's live streamed at 5, it will be available at 6. You can watch it anytime. It's funny how that works. But um, if you are able to join us in person at either 5 or 6, we will close the evening with, um, with the candle uh, light as we normally would. We'll do it a little bit differently because of the tightness of this room. We're actually going to exit this room for the candlelight part, and we're going to sing the last song a cappella um, via candlelight, and we're actually going to go outside and uh, between the buildings and uh, sing together there. So it's going to be kind of different. It'll be cool um, and, uh, and a mix-up as we've mixed up everything over the last month. Um, but if it rains, we'll actually do that part in the gym, but we're not going to do the candles in, in this room with everybody passing candlelight room uh, candle to candle. So, but that will be, it'll be the same service at five o'clock and six o'clock. So you can join us for either. It looks like if you're up in the air, my request, come to six, because it looks like we have more people coming to five. Um, if you need to come to five and six o'clock doesn't work with your family plans, that's, that's totally fine. But if you could do either, I would request that you come to six um, so that we make sure that we're pretty evenly spaced between the two. And then on the 26th, we'll be here a week from today. Um, it's the day after Christmas, but we'll have our normal services both at 9.15 and 10.30 on the morning of the 26th. Um, as we serve our community, we partner with a number of local organizations. And a couple weeks ago, um, most of you should have received an email that went out. If you received the e-update, our, our Friday email, you probably received a survey a couple weeks ago um, with a survey about Rebuilding Hope because we are planning a spring project to help with Rebuilding Hope, which is a um, construction and repair ministry that um, actually they, they serve all over the, the southeast in different um, construction and disaster relief projects. Jim Boyd is the head of this ministry, and uh, we've, we've been supporters of them for years as a church. Um, Jim called me this week and said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm heading back to your old neck of the woods in West Tennessee. Many of you know of the tornadoes from last weekend in Western Kentucky and Western Tennessee. So it was cool that um, I was able to make some connections for him up in, in West Tennessee, and he found some connections on his own. And randomly, he ran into one of Jess's best friends from high school who said, hey, you're from Dalton, Georgia. I know somebody in Dalton, Georgia. Um, so Jim is a, a great, great part of the Dalton community a great part of our mission team um, as we sponsor him. And sometime this spring, we're going to plan a Saturday work day with him. And you don't have to be exceptionally skilled to do that. You can participate in lots of different ways. Even kids can participate in this. But on Monday, we're going to resend out this survey, and it has like two or three questions. It will not take you long. All you need to do is say, yes, I'd love to be a part of this. Um, this is what I can do. If you're a carpenter, tell us you're a carpenter. If you're the person that just 
carries things from one place to another, tell us you can do that, and we will have a place for you to do that. If you would rather just make sandwiches and not go to the site at all, that's okay. We need that help too. So those sort of things, respond to the survey that way. And also the, the most important part of it at this stage is um, we're trying to select a date. And so the missions team gave you the opportunity in that survey to say, hey, I can do it this day, I cannot do it this day, that, that sort of thing. So look for that tomorrow, and please prioritize getting that back to us um, by the end of the year at least. So I'm going to open us, um, before we go to the Word, I'm going I'm to lead us before God's throne in prayer, just ask for Him to speak through the Word this morning. Because what we're doing is we're answering another question. We've had four questions we've, we've analyzed the last month, and this one's a big one. This one is, how can I know that this story about the baby in the manger, how can I know that this is a part of my story, my salvation, that, that, that Jesus actually came for me? And so what we're going to do this morning is before we open up the word, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and ask for open hearts and open minds. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the incredible ministry that already happened in this building this morning um, through the uh, ministry of packing those bags for the residents of the various facilities, the Whitfield County Jail, the Youth Detention Center, and other places. Father, I pray that the, the hope of the gospel would go forth in those bags. As, um, as in those bags, there's just a short note with some scriptures and the truth of the gospel stated very, very simply. And there's also lots of sweet treats and, and, some, um, and some socks and, and some original artwork. But Father, we just pray for hope. We pray that it would be received by those that may be despairing, by those that are lonely. We pray that, that it would be received in hope and it would be received as life. Father, we thank you that um, last year we saw real tangible fruit from this outreach ministry. Um, as Richard told us, Bible requests went up in the immediate aftermath. We as a church got nine or ten handwritten uh, letters from people that had received these, these gifts, um, expressing gratitude and asking for, for more literature, for, for more information about hope of the gospel. And we were able to partner with Richard in that. And so, Father, I pray for more opportunities for the gospel to come through um, a bag of Little Debbies and to come through a simple effort that we did this morning. But, Father, also, as we open the word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Speak to the hurting, speak to the doubting, speak to the broken, but also, Father, speak to the distracted. Speak to those of us that, that maybe things are going well and, and we are hopeful and we are focused on the season for the right reasons. Father, we all need a rejuvenation. We all need a reminder. We all need fresh hope and fresh light this morning. And Father, for those that are sick in our body, we pray for your healing and your protection over them. Um, for Fran Jones, one of our members who went to the hospital this very morning, um, and it looks like she's going to be having surgery soon for her gallbladder. Father, we pray for her. We pray for your comfort for her, for, for wisdom, right decisions for, um, for the doctors and, and wisdom in the treatment. We pray for ultimate healing. Fathers, we hear that and, and see um, people that we know as um, the, the COVID cases go back up in our community. Father, we give it to you, and we trust you. We ask for your wisdom as we navigate through what happens next. We ask for your protection. We ask for your protection for this gathering and our other gatherings. We ask that you would be with us, and we ask that, Father, you would bring... Um, Bring us through this crisis as you have been faithful thus far. All my life you have been faithful. 
Father, you are so good even when we do not see your faithful hand at work. And so we trust you with our crises. We trust you with our doubts and we trust you with our brokenness. And this morning as we open up the book of Isaiah to receive hope, Father, speak to us and live in our hearts to receive you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So when I was a child, I didn't have a whole lot of things to be afraid of. I wasn't the, the kid that was afraid of the dark. I wasn't the kid that was afraid of monsters in my closet or under my bed or anything like that. But I had a distinctive fear as a middle child, and it's part of the middle child syndrome. See, and I was a middle child of three, so I was exactly, you know, it gets that whole middle child layout gets thrown off when you have four or five or whatever. But I had an older brother and a younger sister, and being right there smack dab in the middle means that your biggest fear as the middle child is missing out on something. Because what happens, and it, it always happens, is my older brother always did things first because he was the oldest. And so he got to do opportunities that I, I, I didn't get to have the opportunities he did. And then as I got older, I started to recognize as I got to get those opportunities too, my sister received a very different um, upbringing, approach to parent. You know, parents don't always get it right all the time. And sometimes, kids, here's a secret for you. Sometimes your parents might change approaches over time. So sometimes what happens is the oldest child and the middle child get raised a little bit differently than the younger child. Maybe you, you decide, well, we're going to do this differently. We're going to loosen up a little bit, or we're going to approach this differently. It inevitably happens in every family that times change, seasons change, uh, parents change, develop, and, and sometimes you look and you're like, man, my little sister, she has lots of opportunities. She does things that I didn't get to do. My older brother got to do things that I didn't get to do. Where, where was the uniquely middle child experience always stuck in the middle? But I think a lot of us are like that, whether you're a middle child or not. And so for me, it's like, I thought, well, I'm missing out on going to basketball games that my brother gets to go to or going to, going to football games, those opportunities, because I'm, I'm too wiggly at this stage. I'm not going to sit still and whatever. I still have a problem with that. As you can see, I'm moving constantly. But, but then as I get old enough to do some of those things, I'm like, wait a second. This means I also have to like mow the grass and stuff. Like this means I also have to do the work that he's doing. And so the fear of missing out sometimes leads to some, well, okay, you want to do this, now you get to do this. But if we're truthful with all of us, um, everyone has missed out on something. You've all had some sort of situation where you looked up and you recognized that some really good friends are out doing something really cool, and you think, man, that would have been really fun. Uh, maybe it's middle school, high school, you're like, man, I, I really wish I could have gotten invited to that party. But you know what? We could talk about middle schoolers and high schoolers all we want, but adults in the room, we do it too. We know we don't like to be left out either. Sometimes we have good friends that, that go on a trip or, or, or go somewhere that we want to go. We still have those same emotions of like, man, that would have been really fun to get to participate in that event with those people that I enjoy. The fear of missing out, FOMO, as we call it these days, is something that is, is common to all of us. We all have this fear of what we're going to miss out on, or at least some sort of uh, a, a, a desire to be involved in things, to be involved in communities and fun activities. And you introverts in the room, don't act like you don't. I'm an introvert too, so I'm not talking about going out every weekend and doing all the things. I'm talking about there are some things that every one of us looks up and says, man, that would have been really fun 
to engage in. That would have been a really cool opportunity. You know, I had a woman after church. It's been about a month ago now. She came to a service on a Sunday morning, and she came for prayer afterwards. And she looked me straight in the eye, and she said, oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I believe in God. Jesus didn't come for me. Jesus doesn't love me. And she laid out over a long conversation, a long list of evidence that she had perceived, that she had seen, for why she could say with full confidence, Jesus does not love me. Jesus will not save me. Because if he did, why did he allow this to happen? Why did he allow this to happen? Why did he allow this to happen? Why, when I've prayed and I've asked, I haven't seen what I thought I would see? Now, some of those questions are actually what we talked about three weeks ago when I opened this series on questioning Christmas. I started with the question of, if God is good and all-powerful and all-loving and He can do anything, why does He allow so much suffering and evil to continue? And I said three weeks ago, we can't answer every particular circumstance, but we can give a broad brushstroke of exactly what God is doing in the plan of the universe and, and unfolding and unpacking his kingdom for all peoples. And then two weeks ago, we talked, can we actually trust what the scriptures say? This really old book written in, not in English, written in three different languages, many, many thousands of years ago, many generations ago, can we trust it? Can we trust the translations that we have today? And then last week, we asked the question, and they're up, they're up there, is Jesus the only way? Aren't there other paths to God? Don't other religions have something to say about what we can know about God? And in each of these, we, we can say, no, God is real. God exists even when evil and suffering exists. We can say we can trust the scriptures we can trust the transmission of the scriptures and the consistency of the scriptures they have within themselves. And we said, yes, Jesus is the only way to be right with the Father, to receive righteousness and new life, because we were dead. And what we didn't need was more wisdom. We didn't need um, just light, although he brought light. We needed to be resurrected from death to life. And this week, we, we asked the question that was most deeply personal for this woman that I spoke to a month ago. And that is, is the story of Jesus, is that actually just for me, or is it for, for, for other people? And we're going to unpack it this way. We're going to go all Old Testament this morning. We're going to go, and, and we're going to basically spend our whole time in the book of Isaiah. And get ready, there's like eight passages from Isaiah. But don't get stressed out, because really, we're only emphasizing three of them. But the message of Isaiah is actually a Christmas message. And it's unbelievable because we sort of have it in our minds that the Old Testament is boring, that, that God is really judgmental in the Old Testament, that God is really hard to understand in the Old Testament. And so sometimes we diminish or we look down in the Old Testament and we don't give it the, the weight it deserves in our preaching, teaching, and study, in our devotional lives. Because yes, let's acknowledge, Isaiah is harder to read than Luke. And usually at Christmas time, you spend a lot of time in Luke 1 and 2. And it's easy, it, it's, it's approachable, it makes sense. Isaiah, he just does not make sense sometimes. And y'all, that's okay. It's okay to have to work a little bit harder to see and understand the beauty beneath the message of what God is doing in the book of Isaiah. So yeah, Isaiah was written to the Jews, written to the nation of Israel. But we're in there too. 
and we're called the nations in the book of Isaiah. And so we're going to unpack Isaiah by answering three questions about the Messiah. Who was the Messiah? Who did he come for? That's our overall theme. And the three specific questions from Isaiah are um, on the screen. Who would he be? Who would he come for? And how would he save us? How would he accomplish our salvation? We're going to answer those three questions from three different passages. Who would he be? Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. It's a Christmas passage you all know. That's where we'll start. So go ahead, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Who would he come for? Isaiah 42. Not traditionally a Christmas passage, but that's okay, because all passages are ultimately Christmas and Easter passages. In fact, all of life is all about Christmas and Easter. How would he accomplish salvation? Isaiah 53. Again, kind of a Good Friday passage, but we can, we can talk about it at Christmas too. So Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Actually, before that, let, let me just tell you, from the very beginning, God had a plan. We cannot read Scripture faithfully if we think that God is just all throughout reacting to man's mistakes as if he doesn't have a coherent plan that he is unfolding. God knows the future, understands, and, and decrees the plan of salvation before the first beam is created. He understands what's going to happen. He understands how everything is going to unfold, and he creates unto that purpose. And so from the beginning, God is not surprised when his good creation goes bad. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, third chapter of the Bible, probably the second page of your translation of Scripture, in Genesis chapter 3, the good goes bad. And we know the story. A snake shows up in God's good creation, tempts the woman Eve, and then Eve sins and carries her husband Adam along with it. They're both willing, they're both culpable, they're both guilty of sin. Not because the devil made them do it, but because they chose to do it. And we know that that serpent now, we don't find it out in Genesis 3 as clearly, but it unfolds later and we recognize this serpent is Satan, is God's greatest enemy. And in Genesis 3.15, we have the first promise of God's solution to the problem. And it goes like this. He looks straight at the serpent, God the Father does. He says, I will put enmity between your offspring and her offspring, meaning the woman's offspring. And he looks at the serpent and he says, you will strike there will be a, a descendant, a seed that will come from the woman, and you, serpent, will strike his heel, and he will crush your head. Meaning that the serpent will cause great, great pain to the descendant of the woman, but ultimate victory and defeat will come from... Messiah starts to show up in Scripture. He's not called the Messiah then. He's called the seed of the woman. But then from there, the, the Old Testament unfolds with this ruler that from the nation of of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David. And you have all this unfolding revelation where as you read through the Old Covenant Scriptures, you see more and more information about exact, in particular, there will come a blessing for all nations. And it doesn't identify the blessing as a person then, but by the time we get to, to the New Testament, we start to see what all of this means and I start to put together the pieces. We see, oh, that blessing, that blessing is a person a person that, that, that brings a gift, a gift of life that we receive from him. And so long before we get to Isaiah, we have this picture of who the Messiah will be. But we're just looking at these three chapters or these three passages of Isaiah and trying to figure out how we can know 
who he is, have confidence in who he is, what he does, and our place in the story as well. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, you know it. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now I, I saw, I saw the, the mouths moving and I saw people like singing in their head as I'm reading 9-6. And, I, and I, maybe I messed you up with the way I read it because I didn't read Wonderful Counselor. I just read Wonderful Counselor. I was asked about that after the first service. So let, I'll just go, go ahead and say, I do believe that, that, it is a, that there's four titles given of Jesus the Messiah right here. And the Wonderful Counselor. Counselor is the title, wonderful the description. Mighty God, God the title, mighty the description. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those are the four core titles of the Messiah here in 9 6. And, and this tells us something. It tells us that this great um, conquering seed of the woman that would defeat the serpent is coming as a child. 9 6, we see that. He doesn't show up as a fully grown man. God could have done it that way. But in his purposes, he didn't see fit to do it that way. Philippians 2 gives us a little bit of a picture into that because God chose for his son, for himself, to come in great humility as a child. So this is a child. This is a child that is given. So if, a, if something is given or if someone is given, there has to be a giver. And so 9-6 right there, we see this is a child who's not just born. This is a child that is a gift from God to the world. And it tells us something about who this child's going to be, what this child's going to be like, what he's going to do. From there, we see that he's going to be a great governmental leader. The government itself is going to rest on his shoulder. 9-6, the four titles, uh, wonderful counselor. That means a couple things. When you have a need, he's there to meet your need as the wonderful counselor. Uh, when, when you need somebody to be there, to listen, to hear, to encourage, Jesus, the Son of God, is there as wonderful counselor. When, when you need somebody to advise, whether you're looking at counselor as a definition of, of therapeutic helper or counselor as a definition of, of advisor, he meets either definition. He is there to, to provide therapy, to, to encourage, to listen, and he's there to advise, to direct, to instruct. You know, God says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask. And then I'll provide wisdom abundantly and without finding fault. Why does God say it this way? I say this all the time to you, and I just want us to get this through our heads. God says, you will, you will lack wisdom, so ask for it, and I'll give it to you. God is promising you right there, you don't have the capacity to solve your own problems. God is prepared for the fact that someday you're going to look at all the complexity in front of you and you're not going to have the solution. You're not going to have the answer. You're not going to know what to do. And this is even more, I mean, it is first and foremost salvation. You don't have the wisdom to know how to act righteously and therefore he provides a righteous life for you in Jesus that you receive. That's the gospel. But then even after receiving the gospel, you still need some wisdom. 
to walk wisely as a son of God, to walk out this new life that you have in Christ. And you're going to need to continually ask for wisdom to do that. That's who the Messiah is, the wonderful counselor who advises you as you walk through all of the perplexing, confusing, frustrating challenges of this life. He's there to give wisdom, and he, doesn't ex- and he wants you to ask because he doesn't expect you to be able to do it on your own. And then, he's the mighty God. He is the conqueror. He conquers all of our enemies on our behalf. He is the everlasting father who loves us. Some of us have had good fathers. Some of us have not had good fathers. And he is an everlasting father for all who believe. And you know what? Even if your father was the best human father possible, the best human father imaginable, that father is not going to be able to be accessed at all times. At some point, that earthly father will will pass on. At some point, that earthly father, even before he passes on, is going to be asleep and not be able to answer a phone call and give you immediate advice or comfort. At some point, that, that earthly father is going to make a mistake and let you down because he's a human. So I don't care if you have the best father imaginable, the everlasting father, that is God the father, completely outshines your good father. But if you haven't had a good father, how much more hope, how much more joy does knowing God as a perfect, loving, everlasting father provide? He's here for us to bring hope and joy to all who believe. He's not just the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace who protects us in his peace. And he is an eternal king that sits on David's throne in verse 7. That's the Messiah. So that's who he is, okay? First answer to the first question. Who is he? Right there. Beautiful, full answer. But Isaiah doesn't stop there. He tells us a lot more about the Messiah. And so before we answer question number two, uh, which is who did he come for, we're going to keep going in Isaiah for just for a second. We're not going to have to turn to all of these passages. But just an overview of everything else, not everything else, but a few other things, key things that Isaiah says about the Messiah. Isaiah 7 says he's a child that will be born of a virgin. And in the same verse says he is God with us, Emmanuel, meaning God who would dwell with mankind. Isaiah 9 says he's a great light to the people dwelling in darkness. We talked about that last week. Boy, we really need the light to shine in darkness. But Paul actually tells us our problem is worse than darkness. It's actually our spiritual deadness. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 11 of Isaiah tells us that he is the branch that comes from the stump of Jesse, that the nations came in and tried to, to cut off the tree of Jesse. That's David's father, Jesse. And so the kingly line, the, the nations tried to cut it down so there would be no more kings in Israel. And God all the while preserved his branch to be born up out of that stump that, was tri- that the nations tried to destroy so that his eternal king could still come through the line of Jesse and of David. And Jesus shows up literally in branch town Israel. Nazareth means the town of the branch. And he shows up to fulfill the prophecy to say, here I am. I'm the branch from the root of Jesse. And also in Isaiah 11 says, he is a righteous judge. Isaiah 35, he will perform works of healing. Isaiah 40, he will be preceded by a voice crying out in the wilderness. Isaiah 61, he will be anointed to preach, proclaim, and to provide uh, healing and to set free prisoners. It's a, it's a whole beautiful, full story. And Isaiah 42 answers the question that for those of us in this room, 
is an important piece of this. Who did he come for? Because you can take everything I've said so far, and you can read through those passages, and you could come to the conclusion, boy, this is really great news for Israel. This is really great news for those descendants of Abraham. But again, Genesis 12 said there, there would be a descendant from Abraham that would be a blessing not just to the descendants of Abraham, but to all nations. And Isaiah 42 picks up that idea. Behold, my servant whom I uphold. This is Isaiah 42, 1 through 7. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He'll bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. That, that verse right there, don't skip the beauty of that. That verse right there says, says Jesus, the Messiah, would come for those that are broken, would come for those that are hurting, come for those that just have a little bit of light left and are ready to burn themselves out. Come for those that are bruised reeds swaying in the wind. And he would come to, to repair the brokenness. And so if you're hurting, if you're struggling, Jesus didn't come to stamp you out. Jesus came to make you new. That's the offer of the gospel. Verse 4. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. What does Isaiah mean by the coastlands? He means the farthest reach of the, of the land mass. What Isaiah means in saying that the coastlands are waiting for the revelation of the law of the Messiah is that there are people far outside of Israel, physically far outside of Israel, but also outside of Israel, meaning outside of the covenant promises of Israel. People that live literally far away and people that are in spiritual deadness and darkness. And when Isaiah says the coastlands are waiting for his law. They are waiting for the message of the gospel. And guys, we're the coastlands. That, that's the nations. Those that are not descended from Israel are, are under the definition of the people on the coastlands. The far reaches of the earth. That's what he's saying. They're waiting to receive hope in the gospel of God. And thus says the Lord God in verse 5, who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. He says, I'm giving my, my Messiah who is the Son of God, as a covenant. And, and to be clear here, Jesus fulfills the covenant of Moses and the legal requirements of the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, all of those legal requirements, Jesus comes to fulfill them. But he also comes, Jeremiah 31, 31 makes it very clear, Je Jesus also comes to enact a new covenant that, that both fulfills the old and renews a new agreement, a new arrangement between God and man so that you are not made right with God by the offering of sacrifices and obedience of law. You are now made right with God through the gift of Jesus. 
who's come to atone for sins by taking the sins on himself, by suffering and dying, so that all, all nations, the people on the coastlands, the people outside of Israel, so that we can receive the gospel too. That's what he says. That's what the covenant is. A new covenant, a covenant that brings light not just to Israel. See, the, the old covenant was an arrangement between God and Israel. God and Abraham, God and Moses, God and David, the, the, the different stages of the covenant in which God made these solemn agreements, arrangements with his chosen people. But, but those that were not descended from Abraham were outside of that covenant of promise. Paul makes it clear, Ephesians, Ephesians 2. And those of us that were outside of the covenant of promise needed a new covenant that would bring light to the nations. And that's what the Messiah brought. So that blind eyes could be opened. Problem number one, we were blind. Problem number two, we were prisoners. Paul tells us we were slaves to sin, but we were set free from our bondage to sin. Problem number three, we were in darkness. And Jesus brings the new light. So who would he be? He would be a child, a king, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. Who would he come for? He would come for the people on the very edges of the land. He would, could receive him as the gift of salvation for new life in him. The offer is, a made, is made available to all. It doesn't mean salvation comes to all, but it means the offer is made available to all and to all who receive him. To them, he gives the ability to be born again, new life in Christ regeneration of the Holy Spirit. But how would he do it? Isaiah 53. A Good Friday passage. A bloody passage. A passage that, if we hadn't heard it so many times, would actually be kind of disturbing. A passage that, if we read this about somebody else, we would be made really uncomfortable and queasy at what this is actually saying. Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow. And often talk about this passage, this is Isaiah 53, 3, in reference to Jesus going to the cross, walking the streets of Jerusalem, and, and the extent to which he was despised as he walked those upon his head. While the people mocked, while the soldiers mocked, kept whipping and kept him, him moving forward towards the cross. But it's really easy for us to sit here with our very modern minds 2,000 years later and say, oh, that's terrible. That's despicable. What Isaiah is saying here is that the, the despising of Jesus is something all mankind is guilty of. The rejection is something all mankind is guilty of or would be guilty of. Isaiah was not there, and yet Isaiah uses the word we. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, verse 4, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So here's the thing. If you want to be included in the people that receive the peace, you want to be included in that us and we in the phrase or in the passage, then you got to recognize that you are also included in the we do it. 
Adam and Eve don't, don't sin. That means the punishment for the sins that we committed was in 53.5, poured out on Jesus, crushed for our iniquities. Fancy word number two for sin. He was, he was cut open for our sins. He was crushed for our sins. His bones were broken for our sins. And the punishment for our sins, the devil made us do it. But because we willfully rejected the law of God and the will of God, and we acted in sin, and therefore brought punishment upon ourselves that we deserve. And yet Jesus, in, in the most incredible transaction that has ever taken place, made this exchange. He took our sin upon himself. So right next to the Father right now and looks down and says, that one is mine. Now the Father looks at us and sees righteousness. Not the righteousness we've earned, but the righteousness that we've been given. Righteousness out we endure. It's not like this. Isaiah 53, 5 talks about suffering at, at a spiritual, cosmic level, living in physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, whatever. But we have no... That's what Jesus did. That level of suffering, that level of sorrow, pain, shame. We don't know. We don't understand that. And that's what he did. And he did it for the nations. He did it for you. He did it for me. So that anyone who would believe and receive him might receive new life in him. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. Again, the Bible screams it in our face time after time after time. You ain't going to do it on your own. You're not going to get there on your own. You're a sheep that's going to go astray. You're a sinner that's going to fall. You don't have the capacity for wisdom. You don't have the capacity to overcome your own enemies. But the Lord of hosts, literally the Lord of angel armies, is here to accomplish victory for us and to give us his righteousness. So the only question left is, okay, we know who he is, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, etc. We know he came for the nations. We know he accomplished salvation through death and torture and being beaten. How, how do we receive it? By his wounds, we are healed. I said it's a lot easier to unpack Luke 1 and 2 at Christmas season than to unpack the, the bloodiness of Isaiah 53. But right there in, in Luke chapter 1, we have a connection point if we see it, if we look carefully. One of the things that Christians didn't know for a number of years, as, we, as Christians historically unpacked the, the story of Christmas, we didn't know until many years after Christ that actually in the time of Christ, there was something unique about those shepherds on the hill of Bethlehem. And historical cultural research and ancient um, uh, Israel, Israelite writings show us that on the hills outside of Bethlehem, those shepherds had a particular function with a particular type of flock. Those were literally the flocks that were owned by the temple and owned by the high priests. And those shepherds were commissioned by the high priests and the Levites to care for the high priest, to care for those sheep. Why? Because they were the sheep that were to be sacrificed. But in particular, the shepherds were there to keep a watch out for 
a pure and spotless lamb. Because a pure and spotless lamb within the Levitical law has a particular place of of being used as suffering. So they were constantly, when a lamb was born, they would look for it. They would see and examine, is this a pure spotless lamb? And then what they did, it's crazy, y'all. But there are ancient Hebrew writings saying this, that shepherds on the hillsides of Bethlehem in the first century would take a pure spotless lamb and that would take him and immediately put him in a manger for his own protection so that that pure spotless lamb would not be harmed but could be protected, could be raised as a pure spotless lamb and then achieve the role of being used in the great sacrifice. And so God is telling a story that has so much depth, so much intricacy, so many different tentacles that it's really easy to miss it. It's really easy to miss the beauty that he's unfolding here by looking at the shepherds, sending these angels to say, glory to God on the highest and the earth, peace, goodwill among those with whom he is pleased. I bring you great tidings of great joy that will be for all peoples, is what the angels say to the shepherds. And they say there's a baby that's going to be placed in a manger. We don't know what the shepherds knew when, but we know that it wasn't accidental, that it was those shepherds in those place tending the Passover lambs that received the message. And it was a message of hope that said, the true Passover lamb is here. And by his wounds, you shepherds will be healed. And by his wounds, you, the nations, the coastlands of Dalton, Georgia. Isn't that cool to think of us as the coastlands? We're not really the coastlands, guys. But the message is for us. But it's a message that must be received. And, and if we receive him, we know if we receive him, if we believe in the gospel, we know the story's for us. If we receive Jesus as the Son of God, as the Savior of our sins, and repent of our iniquity, we know that we have done that because the Holy Spirit has brought new life in us, and we are part of his family, and we are adopted into his family. So we're going to stand and sing, and we're going to sing Gloria to this Passover lamb. And if you need to do more business with Jesus today, we still have the opportunity. Come and find me. In a field nearby To tend and to carry His flocks by night They were not ordinary sheep They were set apart Born to be Passover lambs And when a spotless male was born He was held on the manger floor Swaddled up just to keep him calm Until his time And the shepherd sang Wrap this one up, he is a lamb Without blemish, wrap this one up. He'll make his way to the temple. Born for sacrifice, he'll join the others and pay the price. Wrap this one up, wrap this one up. 
Oh, the call of a mother in a town nearby to tend and to carry on this holy night. Not an ordinary child, but the Son of God, breathed by the Holy Spirit. And when the baby king was born, he was held on the manger floor. As he swaddled him up, she knew his time would come. As she sang, wrap this one up, he is the one that we adore. Wrap this one up, he'll wear the crown. Forevermore, he's come for you and me, and he'll finally set us free. Wrap this one up, wrap this one up. Oh, he's the one. Gloria, Gloria. Sing Gloria in 
So I'm actually going to have you be seated for a minute, and I'm going to call up. We have a, a mission team, actually, and you guys can sit down if you want to. Um, Tom and Sally and Raymond and Janice, if y'all would join me up here real quick. Um, before we leave today, I want to um, more officially, so Merry Christmas to you. Um, they this first. On your way out, grab one of these sheets, please. And this has um, information on what they're doing. It's the four of them, Tom, Sally, Perry, Raymond, Janice, Hobby, our team of four that's going um, on this trip to partner with our churches there and to be a stimulus for a Saturate project. If you don't know what Saturate is, a couple years ago, we were a part of an initiative with 30 other churches in our county to present the Jesus film and some evangelistic materials to every home in Whitfield County. And our pastor partners in Romania got wind of this, and they wanted to do it in Cluj as well. And so uh, they're going to present the vision to help them uh, build some energy with other churches about it, that sort of thing. They're also doing a youth camp, and this has their dates, their names, and some requests from them um, so that we can be praying for them as they go. And Tom, do you want to share anything else on how we can be praying for you? Um, yeah, I, I would just like, uh, you know, as it, as it says on the sheet, um, of just praying for the logistics. Um, with the COVID going on, it's been difficult in making plans and then finding out that plans change. For example, we made our arrangements before there was any inkling that we're going to have to be tested to come back. Uh, for for the COVID virus, but we're scheduled to come back on Monday the 10th, and uh, and so we're talking with the pastors there, and they say there's no testing labs open on Sunday, which is when we had would have to get tested to come back. Lufthansa doesn't answer the phones, or I can't get through, and we tried a bunch of different things, but you know God has His people in the right places, and in the Geneza Church, there's a gentleman, Gabby Stoika who Daniela knows well, since uh, she stayed with him when she came there one time. He works at the airport, and they had a meeting last week. They, they've had a series of meetings. They're opening up a testing lab in the airport and uh, that are going to meet the American requirements, so we're going to be able to be tested before we come back. And so that, that was an answer to prayer. But it's not just going to be us four there. Many of y'all are going to be there, too because one of the things that they want us to do um, with the other churches, the evangelical churches in Romania, which it's not like here. The Romanian Orthodox Church is primary, and the evangelical churches are a very small part. But um, they've been, uh, Ramona's been sending me pictures because they want us to show how we work in our communities to, as examples and inspiration for the Romanian churches. And so we're going to be showing pictures of us in action for, like, packing bags out here. So many of you are going to be, um, are going to be examples for the Christian leaders in, in Cluj-Napoca, Romania, to reach out to their communities. And so, um, so just pray for us, for the logistics, for Raymond and I as we speak in the, uh, in the youth camps, and for Sally and, uh, and, and Janice as they... Um, work to be small group leaders with us and also as we speak in the in the churches too because we're going to be there two Sundays and worshiping with them two Sundays thank you yes and 
these sheets are out there in the lobby. We have a little welcome center table set up out there if you haven't seen it. Um, so there's some other information on there. You, if you haven't grabbed an Advent guide, there's still some more of those out there. Um, but grab one of these prayer guides to be praying for them. Uh, 15 days, uh, J- uh, December 25th, 16 days, December 25th to January 10th, they'll be gone. So uh, please be in prayer for them over those couple of weeks. Um, before I pray for them, I also want to tell you, um, Richard is it, Richard Steele, the jail chaplain is here and uh, is ready to load up some of these boxes that we've gotten packed. So if anyone is able to stay and help load up a van with some of those packed boxes, we can go ahead and do that immediately after the service. So once I dismiss you, if a few people could go and help load those up, we'll get that, uh, we'll get that moving even a step farther. So let me pray for us and pray for them as they go. Father, I thank you so much for Tom, Sally, for Raymond and Janice, for their willing hearts to go for their desire to go, to serve, to proclaim the goodness of who you are and what you have done, uh, to encourage pastors and wives in a retreat, to encourage young people in a separate retreat, to put on two, tri- two different retreats for two different groups of Romanians in two weeks. Father, there's lots of logistics to work out, and we just pray that you would make their paths straight, that you would protect them from the effects of the virus, and that you would protect those that participate in these camps as well. Father, I pray specifically for the encouragement of the the 40 different um, pastors and wives that will show up to this retreat, that they would be encouraged, that they would be encouraged, as many of them have not been able to meet together hardly at all in the last two years. Father, I pray for encouragement for them. And I pray that you would use uh, Raymond, Janice, Tom, Sally, to that end. And I pray for the Saturate Cluj movement, that it would be a part of a movement of your gospel, of your good news, going forth in this city that you care so deeply about through these sons and daughters of you, new light coming in this city. We pray your blessing over them. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. If you would all stand and we'll proclaim the blessing of the Lord. And I want to say it like this this week. It's called the high priestly blessing or the Aaronic blessing because it's from Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest and Aaron was the one that when the Passover lamb came and was sacrificed, would then walk out amongst the people in the temple and he would proclaim God's blessing. And how could he proclaim God's blessing? How could he proclaim God's peace? Because sins had been atoned for by the Passover lamb. And what he did in a limited sense then, we now who have received Jesus can receive in a full sense. So receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.